following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Good morning. My name's Craig, and I'm so glad that you're here today, whether you're in the room or you're watching online. Thanks for showing up. I just uh, want to start by just saying how much I appreciate Barry and his shepherd's heart for this church. Uh, We are lucky that he is uh, overseeing and leading us here uh, and doing it so well. I want to start with a question this morning. Have you ever found yourself at a place in your life, at a moment in time in your life where you've just stopped and asked the question, how in the world did I end up here? I was asking it to myself 10 seconds ago when I walked up and saw Barry walk off and I'm standing on this platform now. But sometimes we ask that question and it's out of a place of gratitude, right? I think about last weekend was Father's Day and out of the blue, my youngest son called and said, hey dad, I know when you go to Chicago, you love this pizza place called Luminati's and you like their deep dish pizza. And so for Father's Day, I'm going to ship four of their pizzas to you overnight on dry ice and then we'll get here Friday. And then uh, Sarah, my beautiful daughter-in-law and I will come over and share that with you on Friday night. And so as I just thought about him, who is now my favorite of the three boys, um, and the other two actually, whose names escape me at this moment, but, uh, I appreciate and love all three of them. And I just think how in the world did I end up here with three boys who love each other, love the Lord are chasing hard and fast after him. And it's a rhetorical question. I know the answer it's Jesus and it's my wife, Kathy. And so I'm grateful for that. But sometimes we ask that question and the emphasis and the tone is a little bit different, right? Because it comes out of a place of disappointment, uh, maybe of um, uh, frustration, even anger, uh, like the high school athlete who has worked her whole career trying to get to a level where she can get to college and compete. And maybe her senior year in high school suffers an injury and her whole career is just shut down. Or the medical diagnosis that comes out of the blue at some point in life and you realize the trajectory of your life has now been changed forever. Or the loss of someone that you love uh, way earlier than you thought that that was going to happen. I can remember when my dad passed away at the age of 67. I was 37 and had three young children and I thought, I I don't understand. I thought my boys were going to grow up knowing their granddad. He was a great man. I wanted them, them, him to be a part of their lives And now that's all changed. I can remember being at his viewing and looking out the room at his contemporaries, at his colleagues and his friends and, and the question swirling in my brain, like, you know, why are you still here? And my dad's not. And why are you here? And I know that's an ugly thought, but that's just real. That's what was happening inside of me. But sometimes we ask that question and it's out of a place of just sheer confusion. Like how, how in the world did I end up here? Didn't most of us feel that back in March of 2020? Uh, We had gone on spring break to Seaside, Florida with our family. And we were having a great time celebrating there and just enjoying each other's company. And I had seen on the news a little bit about this thing called COVID-19. I didn't think much about it. And then Thursday hit and we got a text from some friends in this area that were sending us pictures of Tom Thumb and how the aisles were completely empty and you couldn't find toilet paper anymore. And so we got back and they extended spring break another week and then they extended it another week. And then the children never went back to school that semester, if you remember that. And, and many of you know that my wife and I are in the childcare industry. And so 
When we left on that vacation, our school was full. We had a waiting list. A hundred students, that's at max for us. And then within just a few short weeks, the government came in and said, hey, you can only supply childcare to essential workers. And so overnight, our attendance went from 100 to 10. And we still had a mortgage to pay. We still had employees who were depending on us. And I can remember thinking, how in the world did we end up here? Well, if you find yourself here this morning and you're asking that question, how in the world did I end up here? Wherever you're at, maybe it's out of a place of gratitude. Maybe there's something good that's really going on, uh, that's going on in your life right now that you're celebrating. I would just encourage you to make sure to take time to thank God for that. The scripture says every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so often we forget to give him thanks for the goodness in our lives. But if you're here this morning and your tone is a little more somber, and it's coming from a place of disappointment or uh, frustration or maybe even anger at God, then I think you're here on a good morning because I believe that God has a word for you this morning. I think that God wants you to leave this place encouraged today because we're gonna look at a situation in the life of King David, the man after God's own heart, who found himself at a place in his life where I just have to think at some point he stopped and asked himself, how in the world did I end up here? God, what's going on here? Where are you in all of this? And we're gonna learn from his response about how we can navigate through times like this, through times of uncertainty and confusion and heartache and frustration. And yes, even those times where we find ourselves angry at God, as we read and hear the words that flowed from his heart, And now form the psalm that we call Psalm 34. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. We're in this series entitled Path to Peace, where we're looking at wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And right now we're in the middle of the Psalms of David, these beautiful poems and uh, lyrics that express the gamut of human emotion. And Psalms 34 is so interesting because even as it's written during a time of confusion and disruption in David's life, it's considered to be a psalm of thanksgiving. Maybe your subheading in your Bible even says Psalm of Thanksgiving or the goodness of God. And I think it was penned intentionally by David under the influence of the Holy Spirit for us to learn from and even maybe memorize so that it's hidden deep in our souls so that when we find ourselves in those places in life, we can call that up within us. We can respond with these words like this. And part of the reason I think it is because it was written as an acrostic. In the original Hebrew, each line begins with the succeeding letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's almost like a mnemonic device that David was using to help him remember it and to help his listeners remember it. Also, just the fact that it's written... Uh, as poetry, as music, as a psalm. That helps us remember things, right? It helps drive things deep down into our souls. It's the way music works. It's the way poetry works. It's why I can't remember a password to any account that I have right now, but I can still remember after 50 some odd years, the story of a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer. He barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food and up through the ground comes a bubbling crude, bright oil, black gold, Texas tea. The next thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. The kinfolk said, Jed, move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is. Swimming pools, movie stars. The Beverly Hillbillies. Guys, that is, thank you. <laughs> that is still taking up space in my brain after 50 years. And I don't know why, but it's because it was put to music. It was in this rhyme. And so now it's embedded. Just in case, I guess I'm ever on a quiz show and they say, how did Jed Clampett become a millionaire? I am ready to go with that one, baby. (laughs) But back to Psalms 34. 
Before we look at the actual words of David, I want you to notice the writer has inserted the context of this psalm for us right here at the beginning. We don't always get that with a psalm, but here we know when it was written and under what circumstances. And it says this, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. I mean, this is kind of like the, you know, previously on Homeland, this is the, what brings you up to speed on what's happening. And, and the story that it's referring to is a story we find in the scriptures in first Samuel chapter 21 and 22. So I'm just going to bring you up to speed. Saul is the King of Israel. He's been a great disappointment to God. He's allowed his arrogance and his pride to kind of take over. And so God comes in and says, I'm going to replace Saul. I'm going to appoint a new king over my people. And so he goes to the prophet Samuel and he says, Samuel, I want you to go to the house of a man named Jesse. And I want you to look at his sons and I'm going to tell you which one to anoint as my next king. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house, says, hey, Jesse, can you bring out your sons? And, and the sons all come kind of out and they all look like they could be the next king of Israel. But God says about each one, no, 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 no. And they get to the end and Samuel says, is this it? Do you have any other sons? And he says, well, I've got this one, my youngest. He's, you know, David, he's a shepherd boy. Do you want to see him? And he says, yeah, bring him in. And he comes in and God says, that's him. That's the one I want to be my next king. So around the age of 15, David is anointed as the next king of Israel, but it'll be another 15 or 16 years before he actually gets to take over as king. So there's this long gap. There's this waiting period. And in God's providence, David becomes a member of Saul's court and becomes one of his greatest military heroes. You remember from, if you grew up in Sunday school, the flannel board story, David and Goliath, that happened pretty early on. And so David becomes this huge hero. I mean, he gets like 10,000 Facebook followers and Saul only has about a thousand. And so people start singing songs about it. Saul slain his thousands, David his 10,000s. And Saul gets jealous of David. And so Saul decides, I got to get rid of him. David gets word of it. And so he runs to hide in a little town called Nob at the home of a priest named Ahimelech. And when he gets there, Ahimelech realizes something's up here because David has now shown up this great military hero. He has nobody with him. He's all alone. There's no entourage. And the scripture says Ahimelech trembled. And David realizes what's going on. So he just flat out lies to Ahimelech and says, hey, Don't worry, I'm here on the king's business, no big deal, but it's kind of secret, don't tell anybody. And and by the way, I'm really hungry, do you have anything to eat? And Ahimelech says, well, we've got this bread over here that's been consecrated by the priest, it's not really for you, but he's like, great, I'll take it. And he starts eating it, and as he's eating it, he looks around and notices there's a servant of Saul in the room that has seen him. And so he knows word's gonna get back to Saul that this is where he's hiding. And he's got to get back on the move. And so he says, hey, I got to get going. Um, By the way, Ahimelech, I forgot my weapon when I left the palace. Uh, Do you have anything I can use here, a sword or something I can use? And Ahimelech says, well, we do have the sword that you used to kill Goliath with. It's here, kind of a keepsake. But if you want it, you can have it. So David takes it and he leaves and he goes out on the run. But where's he going to go? Right, He's in the kingdom of Israel. Saul's the king. He's got spies everywhere. They're all looking for David. So he comes up with the bright idea that I'll go hide in enemy territory. I'll go hide with the Philistines. Saul will never come there to find me. Now, unfortunately, what he forgets is he's not real popular in Philistia either. Because you may know the story of when he asked Saul for his daughter's hand in marriage. And Saul says to him, you can marry her if you'll bring me the foreskins of a hundred Philistine men. 
And David, ever the overachiever, goes and brings back 200 foreskins. So he's already got at least 200 guys in Philistia that are not real happy with him. And then he hides out, it says, in the town of Gath, which is where Goliath was from. It's the hometown. This is their hometown hero, Goliath. And here he is, the guy that killed Goliath, and he's got the sword in his hand. And he thinks this is a good place to hide out. Like nobody's going to notice him there. King Achish will be none the wiser until some servant of the king recognizes him and says, wait, 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 wait. Isn't, isn't this David? Isn't, isn't this the one that everybody's singing about? The thousands, the ten thousands, the one that killed uh, Goliath? And then it says this in 1 Samuel 21, 12. When David realized that he had been recognized, he panicked, fearing the worst from Achish, king of Gath. So right there, while they were looking at him, he pretended to go crazy pounding his head on the city gate, foaming at the mouth, spit dripping from his beard. Achish took one look at him and said to his servants, can't you see he's crazy? Why did you let him in here? Don't you think I got enough crazy people to put up with as it is without adding another? Get him out of here. Now, now this is bizarre stuff, right? Don't ever say the Bible's not interesting. David is clawing at the door. He's foaming at the mouth. He's pretending to be cray cray. And so the king sends him away and he runs to a cave called Adullam, which just means place of refuge. It's out in the wilderness. It's out in the desert. It's in this middle ground of nothing, but it's between two kings who are both looking to kill him. And you just have to know at this point, David stops and looks around and says, how in the world did I end up here? For crying out loud, I am the next anointed king of Israel. I have Jeremiah 29, 11 framed and over my desk at home. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you. This can't be right. And then it says, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to meet him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So just picture the scene here. They're hiding out. He's hiding out in this dark, damp, nasty cave. And then out of the blue shows up 400 other men in this dark, damp, nasty cave with him. And these aren't the cream of the crop. These aren't the West Point graduates. These are 400 derelicts. It calls them the distressed, the in debt, the discontented. And I'm sure David's thinking, great God, thank you for sending me this crew. What am I supposed to do with these guys? And it's in this context that he sits down to pen Psalms 34. And I think you're going to be surprised how he begins. Because if I was David and I had sat down to do a little journaling at this point, I think it would begin with three letters. W, T, W, right? Okay. Keep your minds where they're supposed to be. What in the world? But look how David begins. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The first thing we learn from David about how to navigate through times of uncertainty and chaos in our lives is he begins by worshiping the Lord. Blessing the Lord. The word blessed there is Barak. And it just means to praise, to adore, to bless with strength. He's basically saying, I'm going to bless God with all that I have. Everything I've got inside of me is going to rise up and praise God. And when am I going to do it? Continually. All the time. Some of the time? No, all the time. When things are going well? No, all the time. Every now and then? No, at all times. This is praising God through it all. 
through the good, through the bad, through the exciting, through the disappointing. He says, I'm going to bless the Lord with all that I have at all times. David's first response in the midst of his confusion and uncertainty is to worship the Lord. It's like he's saying, I don't know what to make of the chaos that's going on around me, but I do know this. There is a steadfast anchor in the middle of this storm that I can grab hold of and I can hold on to. And no matter what circumstances I'm I'm in, it doesn't matter because circumstances are going to change, but my God never does. So instead of focusing on what God hasn't done, what if this morning we begin to learn and to think about the things that he has done in our lives, the things that he has brought us through in our lives? There's an old hymn that we used to sing growing up in church called Count Your Blessings. Some of you probably know it. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. So if you're here this morning and you're feeling discouraged, beat down, can I just challenge you to start naming some of the blessings that are in your life today? I can lift up my arm like this and immediately be reminded of three blessings in my life. The first one is that I can raise my arm up to this height. I told y'all a while back before Christmas, I took my three sons snow skiing. And on the last day, I thought, I'm going to show off for them. I'm going to show them their old man can still shred the mountain. And instead, the mountain shredded this old man. And I ended up tearing my rotator cuff. And so I've been in physical therapy ever since. And I've just now gotten to the point where my hand will get this high. So I'm thankful for that. Thank you, God. And then when I raise it up, I notice my watch and it reminds me of the gift of time that I've been given. That it's June 26th and I'm here standing alive and breathing. That is a gift from God. And then I look at my finger and I see my ring that reminds me of one of the greatest gifts God's ever given me on this planet. My wife, Kathy, we're about to celebrate 38 years of marriage this next month. And thank you, God, for that. We have to cultivate a discipline. Thanks, it was all her. Cultivate a discipline, a habit of gratitude in our lives and find times throughout the day to just remember to bless the Lord. Look at the words David uses. Bless and praise and boast, magnify, exalt. David has learned the secret to overcoming the anxiety and the fear that well up inside of us when our world spins out of control. And it's this, as we make God bigger, as we, as we magnify the Lord, our troubles will become smaller. And notice he says, let's do it together. Let's exalt his name together. There's something powerful about the body of Christ coming together and lifting up the name of Jesus and seeking the presence of God. And I think our enemy knows this. It's why he wants to keep you away from this place. Let's come together regularly and worship the Lord. David begins by worshiping the Lord. But then look next what he does. He begins to seek after the Lord. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Look at the order here. He seeks God and then God delivers him. It's how it works. The word sought there is the word derash. And it means to inquire about, to be intent on, to make supplication for. It's this idea that that I'm going to intentionally seek God. And I'm going to bring my needs before the Lord regularly and consistently. The same God who spoke the universe into existence says to you and me, not only can you bring your needs to me, I want you to bring your needs to me. See, there's a lot of things we can do with our needs. We can worry about them. We can be overwhelmed by them. We can whine about them. We can be afraid and get anxious about them, or we can derosh them. We can bring them before the Lord. 
And then look at the result in verse five. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. The Passion Translation says it this way. Gaze upon him, join your life with his and joy will come. Your face will glisten with glory. Look, I read this past week that the average American spends over $15,000 in a lifetime on skincare products to make their faces glisten, right? To shine. You don't need Estee Lauder. You don't need Elizabeth Arden. You don't need Botox injections. Jesus is so much better. Don't we all know people whose countenance just glows because we know the relationship they have with Jesus? He goes on, verse six. This poor man, this poor man, guys, called and the Lord heard him. Guys, all 400 of you, gather around. This is my testimony. He saved me out of all my troubles. I know it doesn't necessarily look like it right now as we're hiding out in this cave in the middle of nowhere, but you don't know how far he's brought me. See, so often we get focused on how far we have to go that we forget how far he's brought us and that it's only because of his hand that we are here today living and breathing. This world is still spinning on its axis. Colossians 1 says he was there before any of this came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And then I love this next thought, verse seven. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Notice it says the angel of the Lord. It's the definitive article, the, there. It's not an angel of the Lord, which might mean, you know, Michael, Gabriel, cherubim, seraphim, all of that, but it's the angel of the Lord. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, when it is the angel, It's referring to Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, the Jesus before flesh uh, was put on him. And David is this military man. So he knows military formations, right? He knows how this works. You put the most important person in the middle and the military flanks that person, usually the king. So that when the enemy comes, the, the troops are out here to protect the person that's in the middle. And Jesus flips this whole thing and says, no, 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 you're in the middle. I've got you. It's what I came for. You're in the middle and I'm encamped all around and nothing's going to touch you that hasn't first come through me, that hasn't passed through my loving hands. And I will ultimately redeem your pain. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And then David looks around this room or the cave in this instance at these desperate, despondent, discouraged men. And he says, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Just taste, guys. It's like when you go to a tasting. If you've ever been to a wine tasting, Kathy and I had the opportunity to do this a while back in the Napa Valley. And you know the point of the wine tasting, right? Is to give you a little taste of the wine they grow on that vineyard because they want you to fall in love with it. They want you to want more of it. They want you to buy a bottle or a case or have cases delivered. And I'm a terrible candidate for it. Because number one, I'm very cheap. I don't want to buy a bottle of expensive wine. And number two, I don't like any red wines. And and it has nothing to do with the taste of the red wines. It's the temperature that it's served at. I don't want a drink served at room temperature. It's just like spit to me. I want a cold drink, frostier the better. Give me something frozen with an umbrella coming out of it. But the purpose of a tasting is to get you to want more. And I think that's what's behind David's statement here. Guys, just taste. He says, taste it. I promise you, once you experience even just the tiniest bit of God's goodness in your life, there is no doubt you will want more. Taste and see. 
I can remember back in November of 2020 when I had COVID and there was a lot of uh, stuff that wasn't pleasant about that experience, body aches, fever, headache, head stuffed up. But by far the worst part of that whole ordeal was that I lost my sense of taste and smell. I mean, two of the greatest joys in my life, the unquestioned evidence of God's existence in my life to me are Diet Coke and guacamole. And up to this point, I had savored every bite and every taste, every sip of these two blessings. And then overnight, it was just all gone. And even after the other physical symptoms kind of went away and I was kind of back to normal, my taste didn't come back for months. And I have to admit, I got really down about it. I was buying essential oils and I was sniffing them in the morning, trying to get it back, just hoping for something. But in that period, it made me realize how I had taken my sense of taste for granted. It's easy to take taste for granted, isn't it? And I think what can happen is when you've been walking with the Lord for a while and you've gotten down the road a bit of your faith journey, you've got a few years of church services under your belt. If you're not careful, if we're not careful, we can forget just how good the Lord tastes. And David reminds us, taste and see. He is good. He has always been good. He will always be good. It's just who he is. David begins by worshiping the Lord. And then he encourages us to seek after the Lord. And then the inevitable result, he says, is that we will learn to trust the Lord. Look what he says. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue each time. God's eyes, they're on you this morning. His ears They are open to you, the cries of your heart. And ultimately, he will deliver you. That's his promise. If your heart is broken this morning, if your spirit is crushed this morning, he wants you to know you're not alone. You have not been abandoned. He is near. Nowhere in the psalm does David ever suggest that a life of faith and obedience will keep us from experiencing trouble. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he does promise that if we trust him and call on him, he can and will see us through our troubles and ultimately make it a blessing to us and through us to other people. And it's the cross that stands as our reminder of his faithfulness to us, of the links that our God went to come and rescue us, to fulfill his promise to us that he can be trusted. In the words of that great theologian, Marvin Gaye, there ain't no mountain high enough. There ain't no valley low enough to keep him from getting to you. And so David ends this psalm prophetically, looking ahead past the finished work of the cross. When he concludes in verse 22, the Lord has paid for the freedom of his servants and he will freely pardon those who love him. He will declare them free and innocent when they turn to hide themselves in him. As David and these 400 men sit hiding within the walls of this cave, maybe this was the imagery that came to his mind. Hey guys, just like we're protected within the walls of this cave, 
You hide yourself in him and you will be protected. You will be set free because there is a day coming when this God of ours will walk out of a cave just like this one after three days of experiencing the worst that this world has to offer, heartache and humiliation and ultimately death. And the enemy is gonna think that he's won the battle. But guys, the stone's gonna be rolled away and Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is gonna walk out of that cave victorious. Death will not have the final say. Your broken heart, your crushed spirit, your many troubles will not be the end of your story. Amen? Amen. See, we are the people in the cave that day. We are the distressed. We're the in debt. We're the discontented. We're the depressed. David's words are meant for us today. And he's reminding us this morning that in spite of whatever circumstance we walked in here with today, that we can still worship the, the, the Lord because he is worthy of our worship. That we should be seeking after him because he cares about us. That we can trust him because he's faithful. That we can taste and see his goodness. And he reminds us that when the circumstances of this life are coming hard and fast and they are beating us down, that we can take refuge in him. He is our cave of Abdullah. He is our refuge. And so as we come together this morning, together around the table to celebrate that, I want to end with the same question I began with. How in the world did we end up here? And I'll answer it. We ended up here because there is a God and he so loved this world that he saw the mess that we were in. And he said, I can do something about that. And he sent his one and only son to live among us and to take our punishment for our disobedience so that we could live forever with him. And now as we come around the table, we take the bread and we get to taste and see his goodness. Because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread around that table with his friends. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he blessed it and he gave thanks. He said, take this and remember me. Let's do that. And then in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood represents the new covenant, the promise that I'm making to you, that one day I'm coming back and every wrong in this world will be righted and we will live together forever. Every time you drink from this, remember me. Let's do that. And now as we continue in worship, this is our response time. You can respond from your seats. You can come up to the altar if you'd like. The deacons will come down and some of our people in our prayer ministry will come down if you'd like for them to pray with you. Just ask them. They'd love to do that. But this is your time. If you've walked in here with things that you're asking how in the world, just bring them up here. Let go of them. Unburden yourself. Allow Jesus to carry that for you. He wants to. His ears are attentive. His eyes are open. But let's use this time to worship him.